Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome in, Hale Varsity Radio with you on a Wednesday. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal back at it in a busy show. Can join us today at 466-377-6800-825-5865. Numbers to get in on Twitter. Can find us, Chris Schmidt, at Schmidt underscore radio, at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal. And email chris at hailvarsity.com. Fifteen minutes away, we have a lot to talk about with Mike Babcock. We can get into some offensive line discussion with him. Uh, I love the the work he does on hailvarsity.com. Each week, Babbers does a Tom's time, and he's been going through some of the seasons. And yesterday with the uh, YouTube Tuesday here on Hale Varsity, we talked with Mitch Crank, standout tight end out of Nebraska City, a underrated kind of bounce back win against Auburn and Bo Jackson, where Nebraska destroyed him in the fourth quarter. We've highlighted the Oklahoma State game after a Texas loss, read out round the world. Remember that debacle where Bevo came in and stung Nebraska yet again? Well, Nebraska got got beat by a really good Washington team in the early 90s, a year removed from a national championship, and you had to go down and play Arizona State after a very tough, tough loss. And at that point in time, you had a bubbling, hey, Coach Osborne, put Tommy Frazier in, please. All right, you got a stud freshman quarterback. He's gathering dust. Put him in. So we'll talk with Mike Babcock about that. Get his take on Major League Baseball. We talked with... Jake Diekman yesterday, and we were just probably about 15, 20 minutes early from the official announcement from Major League Baseball. It sounds like they're going to do every other day testing, and they're going to be you know, pretty cognizant of, of, of COVID. Golf has seen a spike. Mike Schuhart will be with us this hour from Wilderness Ridge. And in hour two, Brad Edwards, some college football thoughts with Brad of ESPN. And then excited to talk with a guy who's a friend of the show and has done incredible work in NASCAR throughout his career, Lars Anderson, a contributor to The Athletic, long time with Bleacher Report and Sports Illustrated. Uh, got to hang out with uh, Bubba Wallace about a year and a half ago for an extended uh, long-form piece when Lars was doing stuff for Bleacher Report. So we'll spend uh, five to ten minutes with Lars, his reaction on the FBI's investigation, NASCAR's statement moving forward, and we'll hear from Bubba Wallace. The Is it a garage loop or is it a noose? That debate kind of rages forward. You've seen it on social media. We'll hear from Bubba Wallace. But let's talk some offensive line. And good news for Nebraska football is they're able to add a a major quality walk-on in the form of offensive tackle Ezra Miller. So Miller's a kid that was uh, the number two rated prospect in the state of Iowa behind Max Dugan. And if you remember Dugan, he's kicking butt down at TCU. He was the dual threat quarterback. Dugan was uh, that that was with Council Bluffs, I think, Thomas Jefferson 
or Abraham Lincoln. Those are the two schools I know from the Council Bluff region. But Ezra Miller, uh, an offensive tackle, a four-star kid that just had a tough go of it, uh, Elijah, when he got to Iowa between an injury and his situation. Here is Miller's statement. He entered the transfer portal in May, made his decision, and I think you got to credit Coach Chenander and his connections in Iowa with that door being open. Mosai Newsom is also a, a close friend of Ezra Miller, and he's a defensive end for Nebraska, so there's that connection. But here is the statement on social media from Ezra Miller regarding his Iowa departure and, and why he picked Nebraska to start off. I must commend Iowa, the coaches, the medical staff, and my teammates as being amazing mentors and caring people. I have nothing but the most utmost praise for them, uh, every single one of them. It was not due to lack, uh, excuse me, it was not due to back issues that I left the program. Iowa simply worked with me to make that a public statement. I left on my own according, on my own accord due to major depression and anxiety amplified by a series of events. A close friend and mentor passed away from cancer. Uh, God bless you, Mr. Quichel. Shortly after, my father was diagnosed with cancer and is now thankfully recovering. My brother was in a nasty car accident as well. These events combined with the stress provided by school and football led to some very poor self-treatment and mental health struggles. After two long hiatuses and intense therapy, I believe the best situation was to leave football, as I did not think I could be a good teammate with all that was going on. Now I believe, along with the support system, that I am at a state where I can play ball again. And with that saying, I'm entering the transfer portal Uh, That was from Ezra Miller and kind of clarified, all right, you're retiring due to injury. And and good for Ezra, man. I mean, he, to come out publicly and say, uh, yeah, I've had some mental health struggles. I've not been a good teammate. I've made some choices. He didn't get into specifics. I can only imagine this. And, And he's out of Holstein, Iowa, smaller community. And... You know, Iowa, like Nebraska, has rural regions that just do what they do. It's hard work. It's backbone. It's blue collar. It's family. It's uh, character. Okay, that's that's kind of your painting of small town Americana. As I see it, I've experienced in Nebraska and, and the people I know from Iowa, it's the same thing. Folks from smaller communities that are just great people. You make a jump from that level of ball to Iowa and you do get dinged, and then you're not playing ball, it's a whole, you're going from, you know, a, a small fishbowl to a, a giant fish tank, right? You, you just are making that jump, and it's, it's difficult, and it's difficult if you don't succeed. It's difficult if you get injured, and if you faced adversity for the first time in your life, how do you handle it, especially if you've not faced something on that level? Because... You're going to play ball for yourself and your family, but you got a whole community that want to see you do well as, as well. I mean, there's that there, that pressure is a reality. Some kids put that on themselves. So, I commend uh, Miller here for coming forward and saying this. That isn't easy, man. Just to lay all those cards out on the table with what you went through at Iowa to say thank you to Iowa, and then the reality is this. Uh, I yeah, if you're a Nebraska fan, you're going to take a four-star tackle to fall in your lap. 
uh, he'll have to sit out if he doesn't get a waiver this season. He's already used a redshirt season. But the point is, is he'll have three years to play. And he, he was good enough to make the cut to, to go to Iowa. I mean, I know Nebraska recruited him. That's that's something you want. You want guys like that on your football team. There was just too much baggage, and I don't like to use that term, but there's just too much baggage with him. It sounds like and looks like Elijah for him at Iowa to, to, to go back a fresh start was what needed to happen. And this is why I hate people whenever like somebody announces that they are going to the transfer portal and you see all the people on social media, oh, that guy just was scared of competition. That guy was never going to make it. There's, it's a whole different world. There's so much going on behind the scenes that you don't know. But when you're looking at football with this guy, huge frame, uh, came out of high school as an offensive tackle. Uh, at the time, the thought was maybe this guy could move inside and he's going to have mm. to move inside to play at a higher level. But what I'm looking at with this guy is this is a guy that could come and instantly compete uh, once he sits out for that year for Farniak's spot, once Farniak mm-hmm. is on his way, or if he does stay at tackle, there's an, an opening at left tackle after next year. So he's got chances to get in there and, and make a difference. And to get a four-star guy, uh, a former four-star guy, as a walk-on, I expect he's earning to, or he's expecting to earn his scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get him as a walk-on, huge get. Uh, little risk, high reward for Nebraska. Uh, I, I only see upside to this. Well, I mean, it's competition, right? Exactly. It's competition. This guy's got the uh, the frame and the skill set to be good. He just needs to stay healthy, stay in the right frame of mind, not have catastrophic events happen. I mean, that's a lot to go through. You're going to school. You're trying to compete for a job. You get injured. Dad has cancer. Uh, a guy you really leaned on in your life dies, and then your brother uh, is in a brutal car accident. That's a lot for anybody. Mm-hmm. let alone a, a young college student athlete to, to take on. So you wish him the best, good on Nebraska. And yeah, from a, from an upside standpoint, this guy was good enough to get a scholarship and be a part of that Iowa offensive line. The last time I checked, all Iowa's done is put guys from the lines of scrimmage into the NFL the last five to seven years. And this is now the second guy this offseason Nebraska's added. You had uh, Naduli from mm-hmm. Colorado, Colorado State, State, who was also on scholarship and left to come be a walk-on at Nebraska. Uh, and now you have Ezra Miller. Mm-hmm. So it's more competition for the uh, for the offensive line room, more depth. And that's what we talked about on Monday, was it's hard to build an offensive line whenever you only have five guys who are really capable of seeing the field. So when you're adding competition, it's only good and great for Nebraska's offensive line in the long run. And I look at this, I look at Alex Lewis, and Lewis is a guy that's earning a good paycheck in the NFL. And uh, Lewis moved inside to guard uh, for his NFL, was drafted by Baltimore, I think traded to the Jets. But but Lewis was a guy that, that Bo took from Colorado, had some off-field issues, and Alex Lewis uh, is a guy that has done well in the NFL but he's a guy that did well at Nebraska. And uh, Alex Lewis uh, was, I don't want to say a risk, and I don't want to put Miller in the risk category, no. But, I mean, hey, if, if the guys need a change of scenery and, and this could work for what you need on the offensive line, hey, uh, it worked out pretty well for Alex Lewis to leave Colorado and come to Nebraska. We'll see if uh, Miller can make the move from the, from from Iowa to Nebraska, but it's it's a nice get and good for Nebraska to, to find ways to to add to their roster. And from a walk on standpoint, he had lower level looks for Miller. Does he go to a North Dakota State? Does he go to a South Dakota State? Does he go to 
a, a high level program in these schools I've just named, South Dakota State or or North Dakota State, they've done quite well against uh, some Power Fives. Okay, so I'm not knocking their programs at all. Or do you want to play in the Big Ten? Do you want to see if you can can make it work at that level? Uh, we'll see how it shakes out for him, but it's nice for Nebraska to have that option. Let's go to, to NASCAR here and let's talk Bubba Wallace for a moment. And this has kind of dominated uh, sports here the last you know, since Sunday and the FBI, just to reiterate, determined that that Wallace, Bubba Wallace was not the victim of a hate crime and that a pull rope fashioned like a noose had been on the garage door since as early as, as October back in 2019. That's when Wallace's crew noticed it this week. And we'll talk more in, in an hour with Lars Anderson on this, but listen, I can see, the the garage pole loop being taken as or mistaken for a noose. And then I can also see with the timeline of events here where Bubba's like, dude, you got to get rid of the Confederate flag. NASCAR gets rid of the Confederate flag and poof, there's something that looks like a noose. That isn't that isn't crazy. I think could happen either. Okay. Let's hear from Bubba Wallace. What's his reaction? And he still thinks, listen, man, it, it was a, a garage pull down that was fashioned into a noose. I've never seen a uh, garage pull like that. It makes me want to drive over to uh, my, my mom's house where we used to race out of our garage and show a garage pull. Yes, it was a garage pull for our stall at Talladega, but that was in the solid shape of a noose. And when, when my guys seen that, when my crew member had seen that, who happened to be African-American, um, he, he did his research first. And I was very proud of that. David Crops, a guy I'll stand by in any trenches any day, uh, walked up and down the garages to make sure he wasn't overreacting. And when he seen that the other garage pools were basically just a solid piece of rope, no knots in them. And we had a knot that was in the shape of a noose. So that's Bubba's take, and I'm going to listen to Bubba because it's affecting him. And if, if he thinks that and feels this, uh, I'm not going to question him or challenge him, and I don't think he's overreacting or making a big deal about it. More from Bubba. Do we have time on, on uh, as Bubba sat down with ESPN, uh, Bubba kind of spent some time talking about walking in his shoes. Are we, are we hypersensitive to everything that's kind of going on right now in the world? Absolutely. But if you were if you were in my shoes and I doubt anybody could walk in my shoes, especially at this moment, um, you, you would you would go down that route just time and time again. Uh, from the moment I had the conversation with uh, Steve Phelps to the, the last conversation I had with the FBI, uh, which I never thought I'd be on the phone with the FBI. So that was always something new. Um, but, you know, it's it's, it's I, unfortunately it's part of our life, part of my life that, that will stick with me. And I'll learn from this and grow from this and, and continue to push the positive message forward with what we're trying to change, not only in our sport, but in the world. So that is Bubba Wallace today with ESPN. He did a lot of media today. We'll check in with Lars Anderson in an hour. A longtime reporter with NASCAR. Uh, did some incredible work uh, during his stint with uh, Sports Illustrated for 20 years and just did a piece on Bubba Wallace. Got to spend a day with Bubba golfing and just kind of getting to know him. Uh, and and reporting that uh, back in 2018. So we'll get Lars's perspective on this. 
Uh, it's just it's just funny time wise, and I'm not saying. God, I'm not trying to straddle the fence on this either. I can see both sides, I guess, is my take on it. Uh, it just it looks bad. NASCAR, the, the thing that they've done is respond in the right way with unity and support for Bubba with uh, members of the pit crew and with members uh, of, of the racing community. You saw that on display Monday. That's the, the good that came out of this. But uh, the other good part is it, it wasn't deemed a hate crime, but it still has got to shake anybody. Uh, in 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 Bubba Wallace's shoes, that man, this 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 is the news. It's a symbol of hate. Mike Babcock's on the way with Hale Varsity. And we're back, fellas. You think we could listen to the radio on Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery? Yes, that's awesome. Thanks for spending time on a Wednesday. It's Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. We say hi to historian, author, Hall of Famer, and with Hale Varsity Magazine and .com, Mike Babcock at MD Babs on Twitter. Babbers, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing okay, Smitty, and and uh, Mitch Crank, one of the all-time good guys. He is a good, good dude. That was so much fun to chat with him yesterday and and kind of recount the Auburn game and. I, I know that that's years ago, but I, I, I just remember seeing highlights of that as a kid and then checking it out on YouTube. And you, you, you notice the Bo Jackson story started in 1982. The legend of Bo was around the world of Alabama and it came down to Auburn and, and Alabama for Bo Jackson to go play college football. And, you know, Bo scored the only touchdown. And I loved watching him grow up as a sports fan. And, and Nebraska goes down there and really takes down a great Auburn team and a really, really awesome Auburn team that could have won a title a year later, right, uh, where they had a Sugar Bowl win. And I look at that Nebraska team, I'm like, man, that was a tough call. That was a, a sold-out crowd down at Auburn. And, oh, yeah, by the way, what's your emotional stability like coming off a loss against Penn State in the, you know, the, the week before where not only did you go tooth and nail with, with a great college football game, but the way you lost was out of your hands. So how do you rebound from that? And I know you were, you were covering Nebraska then, Mike, and, and still are today. And that was, that was impressive. And it's not too far off of what Nebraska was asked to do uh, with your Tom's time story that's going to be out uh, and that was a, a tough trip down to, to to Sun Devil Stadium after a loss against Washington in the early 90s. Yeah, Arizona State, uh, Nebraska was coming off a uh, coming off a tough loss to uh, at Washington, and and uh, and you had uh, Arizona State in '92, and, and you know, as with every season in there, the expectations were so high, and then. You lose at Washington, and I remember before that game and, and looking back at that stuff, you know, uh, Mike Grant had said, well, we, we don't want the Washington game to be on our minds for the rest of the year. You know, we want to get the job done, and Washington was number two and playing at home, and and they lose, and so then there you are again. You're, you're swimming uphill, uh, and when the expectations were really high, so... Um, you had to rebound against Arizona State. That was your last non-conference game before you played, uh, before you uh, opened the conference season, I think, against Missouri. And uh, it was kind of an unusual situation. Uh, Nebraska had off weeks. No, I think the next game was Oklahoma State. I better look at my notes. Um, 
at, to, to open the conference play, and Nebraska had an off week before Oklahoma State, so an off week after the Arizona State game, and then after it played Oklahoma State, it had an off week before it played Missouri because it was supposed to play uh, Kansas at Kansas State in between there. Gotcha. And the Kansas State game was, you know, Kansas State had the opportunity to play in Japan, asking if Nebraska would make the move. Nebraska said, yeah, we'll do it. Um, and so uh, Nebraska, over the course of five weeks, uh, you know, had uh, had had the one game against Oklahoma State, and that came after after the win against Arizona State. So the other thing about the, the Arizona State game I thought was interesting was that uh, Mike Grant uh, threw an interception late in the first half, and then Nebraska didn't th- have an intercepted pass until six games later. I mean, that, that was—I mean, it wasn't like Nebraska threw the ball a lot, but uh, that was a pretty, uh, pretty interesting streak. I thought. Mike, listen, with with Nebraska and and that year, you you have if things aren't off to everyone's expectations, there is clamoring for change, and that change could be quarterback play, and that was uh, case in point in '92. Yeah, and you know, coming out of the out of the Washington game, uh, fans started uh, grumbling. It's like, you know, it, it, it's always that way, I guess, uh, to some extent when things are not going right. Obviously, it's the quarterback's fault, and the second team quarterback then becomes the favorite player on the team. But um, after the Washington game, there was some grumbling about, uh, uh, you know, well, why doesn't Tommy Fraser? Uh, Tommy Fraser ought to be starting true freshman and uh you know tommy had a actually a pectoral injury that he suffered late in the week before the washington game so uh he made the trip but he wasn't really wasn't really ready to go people were you know still calling for that and then he didn't play and uh, grant played the entire game against arizona state Mm -hmm. and uh then that the things really picked up then people were really clamoring, you know, that uh, Tommy Fraser needed to get the start. And, you know, they had, uh, you know, Brooke Beringer was a redshirt freshman then, and and actually uh, Tony Veland had uh, stepped up to the number one quarterback in the second half of the spring because Mike Grant had suffered a broken collarbone. And then uh, 10 days before the season opener, uh, Tony Veland suffers a broken collarbone. So, he didn't play till he's not even able to play uh, at that point. But you had uh, so you had in your quarterback uh, group you had uh, Grant, you had Tommy Fraser, you had Brooke Beringer, and when he got healthy, you had uh, Tony Veland, who had looked good in the spring and had competed with Grant for the number one job in the fall till he suffered the injury, um, same injury that Grant uh, uh, suffered uh, in the spring. And then you had a couple of walk-ons, Joel Cornwell and, and uh, John McMillan, that were seniors, and uh, so there was competition there. But but the but, but the fan clamor was for for Tommy Fraser because there had been so much uh, publicity during his recruitment uh, that was so important. So um, that became a bigger deal after the after the Arizona State game, and there was the week off there, so uh, people had time to. To voice their opinion. 
Mike, eventually Tommy Frazier gets the nod against Missouri, and I know you'll get to that during your, your stories and uh, your, your postings for Tom's time uh, with Mike Babcock on HailVarsity.com. Are you surprised Osborne ended up going to Frazier? And I know you said Mike ends up getting dinged up, but you also had the dynamic of, of Frazier wanting to transfer, man, because he thought he should be playing. Yeah, you know, uh, that came up in a discussion after the Arizona State game. And, and uh, you know, I uh, Tommy talked about it at, at length, uh, I guess, in an interview I did with him uh, several years later. Um, you know, it, it, the word transfer, he, he was the one that brought it up. And he said it, he had brought it up out of frustration because he looked at it and said, you know, I'm, if I'm, if you're not going to redshirt me this year, which I'm sure he wouldn't have been happy if they'd have done that, but <laughs> if you're not going to redshirt me, then how come I'm not playing? Because there were two games back to back there, Washington, Arizona State, where he didn't get in the game at all. Uh, nobody, nobody did except uh, Grant did the whole thing, and and I, I think it was after the Washington game, Tom said, you know, I was really concerned if if Grant got hurt, what we were going to do. Um, because he, at that point, he Osborne felt like Grant was by far their 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 best quarterback. So um, I think that, and, and Tommy also acknowledged. He said, "You know, when you're a freshman, you think you know it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think you know more than you do." And and he kind of acknowledged that part of it uh, when he was a freshman. There, those first couple of games that he maybe thought he knew more than he did. But nevertheless, he talked a little bit about transfer and. And uh, so Tom, you know, they got a hold of his parents, and he talked to his mom and, and made the decision that, you know, he wasn't going to go anywhere. It was going to be a kind of a day-by-day thing. But, um, you know, then he did get the opportunity against Missouri. And, I, you know, part of it was that Grant was less than 100% before the Missouri game. Part of it was that Tom, you know, he always evaluated uh it was based on competition, what he thought, and he felt like at that point, Tommy had earned the right to get that opportunity. So, with with Grant a little less than 100 percent, you know, let's uh, let's give Tommy the opportunity. And and I'm not sure that it was a better situation for him being on the road, especially um, at Missouri. I mean, that's a snake yeah. pit, man. Yeah, and I remember and looking that up, I think that was one of the largest crowds. Well, it was the largest crowd they'd had since the last time Nebraska came there. I mean, that's the way. <laughs> that's how it was. Is Nebraska South? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably back then the Antlers were still at Missouri Booster uh-huh. Club was still uh, doing some things that would be considered uh, unacceptable now. But uh, uh, yeah, that was was not the easiest environment. But uh, you know, it, it was ironic too. There's a parallel, a little bit of a parallel to, to the Missouri game in that. It wasn't his first game, but Turner Gill, to whom uh, Tommy was compared, you know, because of the uh, uh, publicity surrounding him coming there and so forth, um, that uh, uh, it was, I think it was the third game that he'd, he'd started. But uh, Turner uh, went down to Missouri, and that was one of those things where Missouri blitzed on every down just about, mm. and Nebraska ended up winning on a touchdown by Phil Bates. Uh, at the end, six to nothing. Uh, but but Turner, you know, dealt with the pressure and and uh, and so here because the first two games were were blowouts, as I recall. Uh, but he that he started, and 
so Tommy dealt with the same kind of pressure at Missouri. That was always a, a pressure-packed deal for Nebraska, um, regardless of how good Missouri was, which in 1992, Missouri was not very good. I think uh, when Nebraska played Missouri, I think its only win was against Marshall. Hmm. Mike, we had a little less than a minute left, but competition, it brings the best out of some people, brings the worst out of others. We saw with Tommy Frazier, it brought the best out of him. We saw two years ago, Adrian Martinez brought the good out of him his freshman year. He regressed last year, but he's expecting to have more competition going into this fall. Do you think that competition is going to help Adrian, or do you think that the clamoring for Luke McCaffrey might be too much for him? No, no, I don't think it'll be too much for Adrian. I, I think he's got the composure to handle it, and I think it's a good thing. And, you know, I think that uh, I think Scott Frost is genuine in saying it's, a, you know, there's competition. You know, it, it's, not, it's not a negative to say that uh, Adrian Martinez is your guy, but, but there's competition, you know. Um, there's competition. Luke McCaffrey is going to be in there competing. Logan Smothers is going to be in there competing. Uh, Maskey. I mean, it, you, you've got to have that competition at every position uh, all the time. That's how, you're, that's how you are successful is that no matter what, who you are, um, you always have to believe that you've got somebody pushing you. Otherwise, if you, if you don't, then there's a tendency to, to back off your focus and, and, and not be the, the player that you can be. Mike Babcock with us at MD Babs on Twitter. Babbers, we'll talk next week. Awesome to chat. Thanks for a few few minutes today. Hey, be safe. All right, you too, Babbers. Mike Shuart, Wilderness Ridge on the way. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hale Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut, pre-teen Swedish boy. Right, Edwards coming up in 25 minutes. Uh, college football insider ESPN College Game Day. We'll see what Brad has to say about the COVID battle, college football in the fall, and what quarterback he would take for this decade, 2010 to now. Four pretty good choices. So we'll have uh, a thought with Brad Edwards on that. And Lars Anderson on Bubba Wallace coming up. We say hi to Mike Shuart, Wilderness Ridge Golf. It is. Uh, it was a top 10 day yesterday. That means Shuey was giving lessons and watching folks uh, putt for, for dough. Uh, friendly, of course. And then them divot dogs are still going. Shuey, how are you, brother? Doing good, thanks. Way to order the weather up the last couple of days. Oh, man, it's been beautiful the last couple of days. Finally, though, we deserve it. Yeah, it's been hot and sticky, and there's been rain, and and then you had this, well, shoehart ordered weather the the last two days. <laughs> I got to ask you, what's your reaction here to the PGA? You have uh, Brooks Kepka; he's out of the Travelers. His caddies tested positive for COVID nineteen. You've got a number of caddies that have tested positive. What's your read on this? Is it somebody that that didn't follow? medical guidelines that brought this to the party or do you look at it as just it happened and it's happening in a lot of places even though folks are adhering to social distancing it it just looked like the the last tournament that happened there was more of a normal feel and a normal spacing with people versus the the six feet or or further distance how do you gauge this year moving forward for golf I don't know. It's going to be tough with all the sports. I mean, you're just seeing that with the football. Yeah. Starting to see that more in golf. I mean, case after case after case. It's just like, how can you 
I don't, you can do all of the social distancing you want. I mean, but it's like, as time goes on, people get a little slack in that. Mm -hmm. And football, I mean, heck, you got to contact sometime, don't you? You got to get somewhat close together. (laughs) Golf, same way, man. You Cassati's got to get somewhat close to you at times. And they're going to be close to one another. So it's just like, I don't know how how you're going to be able to stop it. I mean, that's, you're going to see more and more cases, the more and more sporting events and things that start to get going. I think you're going to see more and more of those cases pop up. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be tough. Well, you have Jay Monahan, the PGA commissioner, speaking out today on extra testing, stricter monitoring of protocols, and uh, serious repercussions for offenders uh, will go into effect. What do you imagine could be some of those repercussions? Fines? Do they add a stroke? I mean, how far, how heavy-handed do you go with this? Yeah, I mean, you'll start seeing fines. Yeah. Um, that's that's going to be the biggest thing. And then you'll see you see suspensions. So it's like they're going to suspend them from a tournament. You know, they could they could suspend them. They could go as far as suspending them from certain tournaments. You know, if they qualify for the Masters and they just suspend them from the Masters, that's a big deal. Yeah. Or a U.S. Open or something like that. So it's just how... How aggressive do they want to get with it to make people go? You know what? This is this is for real, and these are the things we have to do. You know, and we break those guidelines. You know, um, we're going to be punished for it. Mike, I'm not a golfer, so I don't want this to be a stupid question. But when the PGA is looking at like social distancing, the the biggest one that I see where it's hard to maintain social distancing is between the golfer and the caddy. Mm-hmm. It's in, in pro golf, the, the caddy is very important. It's, I mean, picking golf clubs. Uh, but would it po- be possible to not have a caddy on the golf course during this? Could you FaceTime in your caddy and say, hey, what, what club should I pick here? No, oh, hell, they don't even need caddies. Okay. No caddies <laughs> are. Caddy? All there is a monkey that carries a bag. So it's like, they don't need a caddy. It's like, why do they need a caddy? Because that dude don't know how far he hits a seven iron, then he shouldn't even be out there. It's like, well, why do they need a caddy? They, their caddy's just their butler. <laughs> Shirley, how do you really feel about caddies, brother? <laughs> oh, wow. Shirley off the top rope, man. I love it. I love it. So you're like, that would, that would be awesome. I think they should all go out there and strap on their clubs and go play golf. They do it They do it all week. They don't have the caddies with them when they're practicing. They do it all week. They go out and play their games with their guys, and they don't have their caddies with them. So they would, that would be no issue. How many guys walk, or if they're doing practice rounds, do they use a cart? They all walk. Okay. They can. Yeah. You know, they're used to it. I mean, that's not a big deal. Now, them carrying their own bags, I wouldn't like that much. But, no, they get them those little Sunday bags. Okay. You get the little Sunday bags, they throw it on their back, they can carry it right around, no problem. Should we tell me about your caddies when you were on tour? Well, my wife was my caddy for that's four what, years. That's what I thought, but I'm sure you were – that was your, your favorite caddy ever, clearly. But I'm oh, sh- no question. I'm sure, I'm sure she uh, uh, put it to you as far as giving you the, the pep talk and the tough love. Oh, yeah. But we, I mean, I didn't, that was my caddy because it's like I, my caddy, my caddies really are, are, they reaffirm what you know. Sure. So 
like they're more confidence builders and they're sounding boards and they're they're abuse takers. That's really what they are. They're just somebody there so when you get pissed, you got to blow up on somebody. You blow up on your caddy. <laughs> How did that work with you and your your caddy? Uh, you know, being married to your caddy. Oh, it was good. We had a we had an understanding that when we walked on the golf course, it was a job. It wasn't a marriage. Ah. So she knew that, and it wasn't personal. Never was. It was a job, and part of the job is you get a little uh, intense out there at times. And so she knew that. Should we tell me about them, David Dogs? How is uh, the summer going? It's going good. I mean, we're doing what they the new team golf. So. Um, not quite like the old team golf, but I got a bunch of my David dogs playing and they're out, they're doing really well. We actually are having a, our inner club match here against Firethorn uh, on Friday. So our first one. So it's a rivalry, isn't it? That's a, that's a rivalry. It's Oklahoma, Nebraska. I won't. That's right. All day long. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Folks uh, can still come see you for lessons, get a tea time. Uh, out at Wilderness Ridge. Also, Fit Fridays, brother. we got about a minute here. How are those going, and, and can folks still come check things out? Yeah, going good. We actually have King and Mizuno this week for Fit Friday, so if you're interested in, in any of those brands, we'll have both um, King reps out and Mizuno reps out. So on Friday, just call out, schedule a time for it, and you come out and see the new King and Mizuno products and get yourself fit for new set of clubs. I tell you what, I I have gotten a, I've got three Mizuno hybrids that have kept me from nice. being kicked off uh, our, <laughs> our our pairs partner teams when we go play on the weekend. It has saved me on some second and third shots. I love those things, man. I've got good control of them. It actually makes me look like somewhat of a golfer. All right, I love it. That's good. Mike Shuart, Wilderness Ridge Golf, and uh, go see Shuey out there at Wilderness Ridge. Shuey, I love the take on caddies, man. It was great to chat with you, and we'll do it again next Wednesday. How's that sound? Uh, sounds great. Always love coming on. Thanks. All right, brother. Be good. There he is. That's awesome. Mike Shuart giving you the, the thoughts on caddies. <laughs> he went off. That's good. Uh, Brad Edwards, ESPN Insider, coming up. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. You know, I love this vote of confidence. Uh, My golf partner, I cannot repeat what our team name is, has something to do with monkey, though. Get the the text or the email in, chris at alevarsity.com. So, Coach Brett was listening to the segment with with Chewy, and he is shooting down my hybrid take what I help when it comes to him and I playing best ball uh, against the, the fighting Mr. Eds they're the two boys from Wilbur mm. that haven't touched us mm. I keep you around for, for laughs for, mu- for music and for booze <laughs> <laughs> not your bleeping hybrids <laughs> Sure uh, that, that's that's the ultimate freaking truth is Coach Brett, his back and shoulders are, are hurting because he has carried us to victory a lot. 
I mean, there's got to be like the occasional time where you've had the best shot. Oh, there, there's like, we'll play 18 and I'll have two tee shots that are safe, not necessarily long, but they're safe. So out of necessity, because the ball is gone, we have to use them. And if he points to where I need to putt, I can usually hit it. Mm. But as far as reading it myself, no. So you could use a caddy, is what you're saying? No. I I, <laughs> I, I, I could use more vodka lemonade. Uh, for the confidence, yeah. yeah. Or just the aiming. It's not even a confidence thing. It's just a relaxation technique. Uh, let's tell you about your friends at West Blue Realty, westbluerealty.com. Uh, it pays to, to, to use West Blue Realty. And tell you what, with West Blue, uh, the time is now to move. Uh, for some of you, and they specialize in residential areas around Lincoln and some of the surrounding communities in West Blue. When you mention Hale Varsity, you can take up to $1,000 off your closing of your next home purchase. And Kelly Hofschneider, he can help. Uh, Kelly is fantastic. Uh, be sure to find him today. WestBlueRealty.com is where you need to go to make that appointment. Uh, WestBlueRealty.com. Uh, Kelly Hofschneider, give Kelly a shout. They can also help you out with uh, with uh, farmland. You have some agricultural area that you're looking to move, and they specialize in um, with ag-, ag areas as well. And uh, different parts of Nebraska, they've been able to service. They can get an auctioneer. They can do uh, all sorts of help with that uh, that land listing you may need. WestBlueRealty.com is where you go to log on. So I've never been to a club. If if we talk to Barney tomorrow, he golfs at a place that that has caddies. Hmm. So I I envision it as kind of I don't want to go caddy shack here, but it's a it, it's a high 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 end club that, that Barney's a member of out in in Scottsdale. So depending on if it's triple digits or not, when he goes to golf, he'll have a caddy. He'll walk. You know, I have a caddy. I mean, we, we've all walked the course, and it frankly sucks. I mean, that's why golf carts rock, and I'm lazy. But you, you need, if, if you ever go to a club that's got a caddy, or that option versus carrying your own, you know how heavy they can be. I'm, I'm going full wuss mode here. Far, sorry, but it's kind of my take on it. A friend of mine uh, caddied for Scott Frost one time. How was that? Uh, he said Scott was not good. That's, okay. That's as far as I'll go. Okay. I, I don't want to trash on Scott Frost's golf game too much, but I heard it was triple digits. Well, it happened. It was probably a high-end club. We'll say that, though. We'll wind down to hour one here and get you to Brad Edwards College Football next. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back with you, Tower 2. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We'll catch up with Lars Anderson here in about 25 minutes. Get his take on Bubba Wallace and NASCAR. We say hi to Brad Edwards, ESPN Insider, College Game Day. And can find Brad on Twitter at jbradedwards. Brad, how's your uh, Wednesday going? Thanks for the time. Thank you, Chris. We're, uh, we're hanging in here and um, just uh, just hoping that we can have a better July than we had June. Once once that finally comes around, I tell you what, it's a 
every day that goes by for the last, I don't know, 10 days or so, it makes you start wondering more and more whether we're actually going to get the football season. You are so right. That's been a concern with uh, the spikes. You look at Kansas State and Texas and LSU, um, uh, Clemson. I mean, those those programs. Listen, and kids are going to get infected. I mean, we it's just naive to think that it's not going to hit at a lot of different places. But what what type of management and protocols and safety is being practiced i i know schools and coaches and folks within athletic departments are are preaching and preaching be safe be smart it kind of comes down to uh are you going to go to a house party are you going to go to a bar Uh, and then some kids may just also get it brad uh just doing what they're supposed to do i mean who knows what this thing are you has your confidence waned about a college football season yeah, mine hasn't yet, uh, and, and I, I think in a roundabout way, the the number of positive tests that we've seen lately um, are, are, are let me say can't could be a good thing for the sport. Now, obviously, it, it's not ever going to be good when someone tests positive, um, but for it to happen at this juncture is is something that. Um, it should alert people. It should get a lot of people's attention. And as you were just alluding to, um, it, it's just a reminder for everyone, uh, or I should say everyone, for all the people who have relaxed somewhat over the last few weeks uh, in the way that they've been approaching the virus, just a reminder that it, it's still there, it's still real, and uh, you can get it if you're not careful. And so you need to be careful. And, uh, and you know, with this reminder, uh, coming, you know, still a good two months before the, the season would start. There, there's plenty of time for everyone to get their acts together. And, uh, and but, but the other side is what, what you said, you know, which is that they're, co- they're college students, you know. And, and how many of us, when we were in college, if we believed that, you know, look, we might get this thing, but it's probably not going to hurt us. You know, it might hurt some other people, but, but not people our age. Um, would we have taken it that seriously if, uh, if it meant, you know, not socializing, you know, not, you know, doing the things that college kids do around, you know, around friends? Uh, I think a lot of us probably wouldn't have. And, and so I, I think that's going to be the challenge here is, is how, how disciplined can college-age kids be, you know, when they, uh, when they get back into that campus environment and, uh, you know, this becomes a, a matter of, uh, of of trying to stay healthy. And like you said, even sometimes when you're trying, um, you can still get it. So, um, so nothing's foolproof, but at the same time, if you're, if you're not being responsible, then, then you really got an uphill battle. Brad Edwards with us uh, talking college football and COVID in a season for 2020 Hale varsity radio. So I got to ask you about a couple of programs and I want your thoughts. A, uh, you're seeing dominance by Clemson. Why, why, in your opinion, has has it taken so long for Clemson to be a, a national brand, or are you surprised they're a national brand? The other side of that is, how can a program like Miami and USC dip like they've dipped? And I know it comes down to, to hires and coaching and transition, but they're almost too talent rich to fail <laughs> when i talk about yeah. usc and i talk about miami and then i look at clemson it's kind of all right been been uh a, a team that 
people would would always circle, hey, watch out for Clemson, man. They've got X, Y, and Z, and they'd end up nine and four, eight and four, whatever the case may be. They'd underachieve, and then they've they've hit it big with Dabo because he's pretty awesome at, at what he does, and his staff's phenomenal. But touch on those three programs if you could. Clemson's ascent and staying power, and then SC and Miami's demise. Well, I think if you go back uh, into the uh, the pre-Florida State days of the ACC, you know, Clemson for the last, I don't know, 15 years or so before Florida State joined um, was the class of that conference. Maryland had a, had a stretch where they were pretty good, but for mm-hmm. the most part, it was Clemson. And I, I think a lot of people, uh, even during the 90s, when, when the ACC was obviously Florida State and everyone else, would have still told you that, that Clemson was the most SEC-like program of all the ones in the ACC, even more so than Florida State. Florida State was better, but as far as the actual culture uh, in terms of the the boosters and how much they cared and how much they were willing to give in order to help the program succeed, and, and obviously in some cases uh, willing to give a little bit too much or a little bit too recklessly and, right. uh, and not hide <laughs> it from the people who didn't need to see it and uh, and things like that. but. It was always that type of program. It was going to have whatever support it needed. That, that was never going to be a question. And, and so it was really just a matter of getting the right guy in there and, you know, getting them to believe. And, uh, you know, it's in a good location where there's a lot of talent. Um, look, there's good talent in South Carolina. There's a ton of it in Georgia, which is, you know, bordering to the south. And then there's a lot of it, too, in North Carolina, which is bordering to the north. So, so geographically, it's kind of ripe uh, to, to be a, a great recruiting spot. And, and you've kind of seen all that come together. And obviously, uh, it happened at a time when, when Florida State took a step back. And uh, I, I think that certainly has helped in that Clemson's had limited competition, uh, you know, in order to, to win the ACC and get to the playoff in recent years. Um, it, it's prevented them from having a really talented team that somehow lost one game and didn't get there. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, they've, they've obviously made it happen when they had their opportunities, and that's why they are where they are. Whereas, you know, you look at Miami and USC, I, I see them a little bit differently. I think Miami is a program that – they're both private schools, and that's one thing they do have in common. You know, Miami is – they obviously don't have the tradition that USC does. They don't go back as far, you know, as a major program um, in, in college football – and they kind of burst onto the scene at a time when, you know, when TV was just starting to become a big thing as far as, as, far as there being, you know, more than one game per week on national television. And, you know, Miami uh, owned that area. That's, that's another thing they have in common is that both of them have so much talent within a 50-mile radius of the campus, you know, that, that they should be able um, – to win 10 games every year based on that alone. And yet they obviously don't. But for Miami, I think, I think the recent drought has been in part due to not having the quarterbacks that they seem to have for so long. Um, but it's also that they don't have the resources. I think if you look at, if you look at um, the facilities of a lot of the other schools that Miami recruits against, you know, Miami's at a disadvantage there. You know, they, they don't have uh, the money. They obviously don't have an on-campus stadium. And things like that 
as other programs have gotten more and more exposure in the last 15 to 20 years, that started to hurt Miami. USC, I, I, look, I think the sanctions related to the Reggie Bush stuff um, have played a really big part in what's happened to USC. And, uh, you know, to the point where they haven't necessarily had the same quarterback drought. Obviously, they had Sam Darnold mm-hmm. in the middle of, uh, of, of, this, of this run where uh, their fans have, you know, have, have been kind of restless. And, um, you know, they, they won a Rose Bowl in that time, but, but it just it wasn't enough. And so um, I think there are different reasons. But the, the, to me, the, the, the most shocking thing that's happened in this whole span with USC was this most recent recruiting class where they were ju- I don't know what they were. It was like, like 11th, didn't they? Yeah, yeah whatever it was. Like it, was just, it, it was one of those things that you would not have thought was possible. And, um, and so where they go from here, I don't know. But, but if you were to ask me you know, who's more likely to uh, you know, make the, ju- the jump back into the elite you know, to, to get into the playoff in the next five years, I would say USC way before I would pick Miami. I think you're, you're right because, I mean, <laughs> Helton's schedule is what it is. He's, it's surprising. Uh, I think SC was interested in Bob Stoops and vice versa, but they hung on with um, with 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 Helton. And I don't think Helton's a bad coach. I just that uncertainty. I, I think hosed his recruiting efforts. Quite honestly, uh, when it comes to to Coach Gundy at Oklahoma State, and then the blowback by UCLA's players for Coach Chip Kelly. Both of those coaches, Gundy's done it at, at a really high level for a while, even despite his record against Oklahoma. And, you know, it's act two for Chip. How, how important are, are, is this 2020 season for, for both Gundy and for Kelly, in your opinion? Yeah, look, I, I think that in an age now where, uh, and I say an age, it, it really has almost happened overnight because some of the things that we've seen happen in the last uh, month or so in college football we couldn't even have imagined this time last year. You know, the players, uh, I don't even know if it's a question of whether they had the power. I think they've had it for quite a while. It's just the, the understanding that they had it and being willing to exert that power. And, and uh, I'm not going to say that they haven't feared repercussions because, you know, so I think some of them, like Chuba Hubbard, it took a lot of courage to do what he did because there, there's no guarantee that there wasn't going to be any, any pushback against him. Um, but there, there wasn't at least, you know, at least not. It was evident for mm-hmm. from where I'm sitting. I'm sure that privately on social media he got plenty. But, um, but yeah. So I, I, I think you know we're now in a in a situation where just because you're a head coach of a program and you make several million dollars a year and you're you know leading young men who aren't getting paid anything, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can that basically that you hold all the cards. And I, I think I think now that the players recognize this, it's going to be more incumbent upon all coaches, not just to win games, um, but to be good leaders and to uh, have good relationships with their players and, you know, give them something more than a chance to win football games, you know, when they come to college. And, and some guys have always been good at that. Some guys have, I think have, have done a good job of of covering up a lot of other things because they are winning games. And, and I, I think we're going to start to see um, a separation uh, of the coaches that do both of those things well, because I, I don't think the players are going to stand for 
coaches um, who they don't think have, have their best interest at heart uh, for a lot longer. And, and so guys like that, I think, are going to have a much hold, a harder time holding on to jobs uh, than they have throughout the history of the sport. Brad, I got a couple minutes. Uh, I saw this with uh, Pro Football Focus, and I want your take. You got to pick one of these four quarterbacks to to roll with for a game, and it's asking the best quarterback of the last decade. Do you go with Cam Newton? Do you go with Johnny Football? Do you go with Mariota? Do you go with Joe Burrow? Pick one of those four as your guy for the for the quarterback of the decade. <laughs> uh, um, there's not a wrong answer here. I'm just wondering what no, the right one is. No, there's not. There's not a wrong one. Um, you know, I'm going to be difficult here and, and uh, tell you I wish I could ask a lot of questions about the rest of my offensive firepower. Um, if, um, Do I get if LSU that, 2019? Well, the thing is, if, yeah, if, if, if I've got a lot of talent at receiver, give me Joe Burrow. Uh-huh. Um, if I'm kind of average at receiver, I want either Newton or Manziel. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I would I would probably go Cam sure. um, just, just because – the, b- both of them, the year they won the Heisman, were, those those were two of the more amazing quarterback seasons that we've seen, and 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 Burroughs was too. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ability to just kind of be a one man show, I think, is is really what set those two guys apart, and uh, that's that's why I would probably lean toward them if if I if I don't have the uh, the confirmation that I have elite talent at receiver. So, um, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll go with Cam just because of his power. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's not just going to, you know, run around and make guys miss like Manziel. But if it's, you know, you know, third and two, fourth and one, whatever, it's just snap it to Cam and let him go. And, uh, and you know, you might stop him every now and then, but most of the time you won't. I'm going to agree with you. And I, I mean, I think Johnny football, I mean, he had Mike Evans and it's not to diminish what Johnny did. I mean, God, he went 11 and two and they beat Bama and Tuscaloosa. That was incredible. They beat Oklahoma in the bowl game, a really good Oklahoma team. So Johnny's Heisman year was insane. He had some great help. Uh, Mariota had some talent around him. Burrow was loaded, and that's not to diminish either of those three. But and Cam had some help at running back and wide out as well. But Cam, man, that was that was John Wayne time. I mean, the entire 2010 yeah. season, he did it all, and he led that comeback in in Tuscaloosa as well. I got to agree with you. I'm going with Cam as well. I'm not the biggest Cam Newton guy, but I think he's a hell of a talent. Yeah, and then look, I, I don't, I don't really. I, I, he had Michael Dyer at running back, yeah. who who was a really good, you know. Good, really good college back. I'm not even sure he had that much talent at receiver, to tell you the truth. No. So, um, yeah, I think if you're looking at supporting cast, who did the most with the least, it was probably Cam. Well, that's a good answer. Cam was was fantastic. Brad Edwards with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Brad, we'll give you a shout next week, and it was fun to chat today. Thanks for a few minutes. You got it, Chris. Take care. All right, bud. There he is, Brad Edwards, ESPN Insider College Game Day. You guys are missing Mariota. 10,000 10, yards passing in three years, 105 touchdowns, 14 interceptions? Come yeah, on. No, Mariota was great, but he didn't win anything. That's true. And I think you can put, probably put Cam in any offense. And I know Johnny didn't win anything either, but he at least beat Bama. Uh, Lars Anderson's next. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back in, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome in Lars Anderson, New York Times bestselling author. 
of 10 books and a professor at Alabama and a co-host of the Jay Barker Show, native Nebraskan Lars Anderson at Lars Anderson 71 on Twitter. And Lars, you spent uh, a long part of your career as uh, a top NASCAR rider for Sports Illustrated. How have you been able to process the events, not only from Sunday with the uh, FBI investigation into Bubba Wallace's garage, NASCAR's response, Lars, and also the the findings. Man, this is somebody you're close to in Bubba Wallace. I know you know the sport uh, better than about anybody. What? Are you, how are you dealing with this? Well, my, my first reaction was, um, thank goodness, because how NASCAR is set up right now, and I, I don't know if a lot of fans sort of under, or people who are NASCAR, NASCAR fans, understand basically nobody can get in the garage right now so there's no media allowed there used to be what i mean i'm I'm sure chris you've been to nascar events get a hot pass i've never been ever actually dude you gotta go i I mean come on i gotta go with you i gotta go with you i'll give you the the vip treatment and you gotta come to talladega i mean that sort of gets to the heart of of everything because talladega I mean, I would say it's the epicenter of, of NASCAR. And so you, you had this event uh, that happened, and or maybe non-event, if you want to call it that. You know, I've absolutely been crucified over social media, and I'm sure my buddy Marty Smith and, and, uh, and Ryan McGee, both of ESPN, I think the world of both those guys, we all reacted harshly to what we, from what information was presented to us. Again, the problem is right now there's only one sort of like pool reporter that's allowed into the NASCAR garage. There was not a lot of reporting done on the so-called noose. No, there was no pictures of it. Look, I mean, I, I live in Birmingham, Alabama. There's a lot of people here who are still upset about the Confederate flag thing. Mm. I am 100% against the Confederate flag. There's a lot of people that they use this phrase like history, not hate. Well, BS. That flag offends my buddy Trent Richardson, who I do the radio show with here in Birmingham with Jay Barker. And and it offends my buddy Antonio Langham. Then it offends me. There's no sort of middle ground there like that, that. It just has to go. And we are at a time and a special place in our country where we can get this stuff done now. And sadly, it's a tragic event in Minneapolis to uh, trigger all this. Circling back to NASCAR, NASCAR should have been more open with their information. Information is king. Always, 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 always. And we need to remember that in our, in our daily lives and when we assess politics, facts. Facts actually matter. And NASCAR didn't didn't release that. And they let this story linger. It ended up being, I think, the highest rated TV ratings, you know, up 70-some percent from last year. The national perception of NASCAR is going to take a huge hit from this. Whether it's warranted or not, I don't know. It's not a good look for NASCAR. Lars Anderson's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Lars, what, what were you feeling what was going through your mind when you saw everybody out to support Bubba on Monday? I absolutely loved it. 
It was one of the most powerful scenes of sport that I've ever uh, witnessed. I've spent a lot of time with Bubba over the years and wrote a 3,000-word piece on Bubba a year and a half ago. We played golf together. We've, he's dynamic. He's just genuine. You can feel that from him. And I think all the other drivers realize that. And that's why they did that show of support. But again, I, I can't emphasize this enough. I think NASCAR is, is just taking a huge black eye because... They did not release the information that they had. And I had no idea that it was like a, a pull down. I mean, I, I don't know, Chris. I never uh, profess to be someone who knows anything about sort of the dynamics of what goes on under the hood or what, what a pull down looks like in a garage. But having seen that picture, it, it did look like a noose. That's what Bubba said. He has put out a statement a little bit ago, thanking for the support and love from, from his fellow drivers and thanking the FBI and NASCAR for their investigation. He feels like it was a noose, and it was a noose left, not necessarily for him, because it goes back to 2019, that garage, that, that pull-down slash noose. He, he feels it's a noose. It wasn't a, a pull-down. That's up for debate. I don't know. I, I look at this, and if the FBI says... Look, we've got video evidence. The NASCAR folks say we've got video evidence. There was no body in that garage like you've touched on since 2019 of, of October. I'm glad it wasn't a hate crime. The, the debate rages forward, noose or, or, or pull-down loop. Yeah. I mean, how do you think – I'll be curious to this, you know, because I have my own radio show. What do you think your listeners – how do you think they interpret this? I think my listeners are – smart and they're going to look at all sides and come to a conclusion timing wise that's my issue with bubba doing what he needed to do against the confederate flag and in your bleacher report story i mean you detail the fact that, that bubba goes and and would mingle with folks that were tailgating even though they would they would wave confederate flags bubba's that type of outgoing guy okay yeah i mean he, he's he's there to break down barriers and and, and kick butt on the racetrack. Timing-wise, it's just too close to NASCAR's announcement to banning the Confederate flag, and then, oh, here's a news, right? I mean, that's yeah. that, that timeline seems funny to me. It seems funny to me as well, and I agree, like, because it changed the whole sort of um, talking points. Instead of the Confederate flag, now we're focused on this. Yeah, racism and, yeah. and a noose. And yes. you tell me, I mean, what what is what's the reaction been in, in Alabama, the heart of, uh, of NASCAR country? Well, I mean, I've been absolutely crucified over social media because I didn't allegedly, you know, do my due diligence and, and getting all the all the facts straight. There was no access to the garage for media members. There's no footage and, to view, right? I mean, you guys didn't get the footage. Right, right, yeah. And if I was NASCAR, I'd love Steve Phelps, president of NASCAR. He's a really good guy, really, really good guy. Spent a lot of time with him over the years uh, as he was sort of uh, rising through the ranks of NASCAR. Man, I think he messed up. 
Because instead of just let everybody, like, and maybe it wasn't his fault. It could have been the FBI. Once they got involved, you know, when the FBI gets engaged in a situation, they often don't want to put out to the public purview what they have. Maybe NASCAR couldn't send out the image like, hey, this is what, this is what happened. I, I don't know if NASCAR handled this the right way or the wrong way. And I don't know if Steve Phelps is being genuine or not. Lars Anderson with us. Lars, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to jump on and talk Bubba Wallace and the events of NASCAR uh, over the last couple, three days. We'll get caught up again and, and hit some college football, bud. Thanks, bro. Good to hear from Lars Anderson. And, and just a couple more thoughts here on Bubba Wallace and his garage at Talladega. Uh, when you look at, you know, th- there's some questions here. Was there a noose found in Bubba Wallace's garage? NASCAR and the FBI investigators have not disputed that. Yes, it's a noose. Okay. Rope pull downs are installed on a roller doors at every garage bay in Talladega. Okay. So was Wallace's team purposely assigned to garage number four? No is the answer. That's why the FBI deemed it it wasn't an intentional hate crime directed at Bubba Wallace. Garage workspaces are assigned to teams per their rank in the NASCAR Cup Series. Did Wallace ever see the noose? Not until NASCAR brought it to his attention Sunday night. And we heard Bubba Wallace describe to ESPN earlier today that it was one of his crew members that's also African-American that saw this. So, Another question here with the FBI closing its investigation, why is NASCAR continuing their own inquiry? Well, they're trying to identify the person who tied the rope into a noose and why they did it, whether it's a NASCAR crew member, a track worker, or someone else with access to the garage before or during October 2019, that race weekend. And uh, one NASCAR official told ESPN.com last night, there's a lot of ways to tie a rope. This was unquestionably a noose so why also now that it's been uh, proved that a noose was there during the race week in october why was it not noticed until now eight months later another question why won't nascar just show a photo of the noose their response officials won't do that because their internal investigations ongoing all evidence submitted as part of the FBI investigation is back in NASCAR's hands. That includes uh, the photo and video evidence used to reveal. And that's kind of Lars's question. That's my question. And you had Lars's outrage on, on social media. You had Marty Smith. You had Ryan McGee, uh, guys that have covered the sport along with Lars for quite a while. And it just seems that there's not as, as much transparency nor access and if you don't have transparency and access, you're taking people's word that you'd like to be able to take, but you still want to be able to ask and verify and fact check yourself. And that's why so many people out there on social media, I think, are saying, oh, it's a hoax. It's because NASCAR hasn't provided any sort of proof that this happened. But when you hear the stories of everybody, it's clear that there was a noose attached to the the, the garage to use to pull the garage down. And, and I told this story yesterday, like my neighbor garage door non-garage door opener and loop to stick your wrist through to to rise and lower a garage before they didn't have an automatic garage door opener when i was a kid Mm -hmm. 
And I mean, I've worked on job sites for years with my dad. Which is what you have. And it's the same thing. You have, you have the loop. I've never seen it tied into a noose before. That's what makes it strange to me. Usually it's just a, a free hanging rope that you can use. Sure. So it, it, it's strange in the fact that it was a noose. I don't think that there was any, any ill intent behind this being a noose. I think it was just unfortunate that Bubba Wallace happened to be put into that garage. But I'm also, I don't know. But that, that's how this re- this whole story reads to me. It's not a hoax by any means. I think it's a misunderstanding. Okay. And right, I certainly don't think it's a hoax. Now, no. did somebody make a noose out of this rope to, to, to mess with somebody that they knew? I'm not, I'm not condoning a noose because it, of what it meant, what it means and what it symbolizes. No. But back in 2019... It, it, it was a different time, even though it wasn't that long ago, okay? Did, did somebody in one crew leave a noose as a present that was their buddy as a joke? I mean, that, that's a possible explanation. The thing, a noose just, it's not the first knot you learn in Boy Scouts, you know? It, it's, you think there's a lot of other knots. So it, someone intentionally put a noose there, I just don't know why. Well, we need more info here in uh, NASCAR waited too long to go public with this. Uh, Jock Doc's on the way. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, Jock Doc Wednesday, Lincoln Orthopedic Center, and Dr. Ben Woodhead is with us from Lincoln Orthopedic Center. Dr. Ben, how's your midweek going? Hey, it's going well, Chris. How about yours? I, you know, we're going to have baseball. I'm a happy guy. <laughs> so <laughs> you can't complain. Things are starting to open up. No, I know. I, I hope they stay open, but that's a that's another long discussion. But you've got concerns with COVID nineteen testing protocol, and of course, uh, contamination. That's that's a worry for everybody, and also in the sports world. But let's uh, focus on baseball getting back. There'll be spring training. And then uh, that weekend of, of the 24th of July, MLB will have their opening weekend. Dr. Ben, what are some concerns you may have? What are concerns that players may have uh, about rushing back, uh, specifically with, with injury? Uh, and what, what could pop up here? What could derail a, an already shortened compact 60-game season for some players? Yeah, I think it presents, well, it presents a variety of situations you know it depends on how these guys are training in the off season well or the off season or Mm -hmm. the COVID season you know are these guys how hard are these guys going are they prepping are they throwing on a regular basis are they rolling or running on a regular basis are they just coming back into the season like they haven't you know been playing for so long it's it's hard to say but certainly you get a subset of overuse injuries that you can get in these guys if they maybe haven't been competing like they normally do um, you know, that's that's always the concern, whether it's in, you know, the throwing shoulder, whether it's tendonitis type of things. Um, a lot of it just depends, I think, on how they've been prepping over this last COVID kind of pandemic mm. time. Dr. Ben Woodhead is with us at Jock Doc Wednesday. We're talking Major League Baseball players and return to action and some injury risks. Uh, Jock Doc Wednesday with Lincoln Orthopedic Center. So, are, are you more concerned, and again, the, the baseline is how much work have you been putting in uh, from a from a elbow and, and shoulder issue? Are you thinking pitchers may be more prone, or could this actually help pitchers because it is a shorter season? It's not going to 
maybe be as, as many innings of stress because of the shorter schedule. Yeah, that's actually a good point, though, too. You know, throwers do need a tremendous amount of rest, so maybe they will come back to where they're 110% or 120 you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. to where they're, they're actually well-rested. They haven't probably had a resting season like this probably their whole career. And so, you know, looking at it from that perspective, you know, some of these pitchers, they may actually be on top of their game because they've had however many months to take off. Um, but, you know, there's always the other side of the coin where, you know, maybe they haven't been throwing like they normally have. They come back and they're, they're, going, they're going at it at a whole new level that they haven't been throwing at um, over the last few months. I would think that a lot of these programs, though, you know, they're, they're working in the off season and they still have facilities they're going to. And even if they're not supposed to be getting together as a group, you know, you'd have to think a lot of these guys are prepping for the season like it's going to happen at any day. Guys, I'm sure, have found a way to throw or throw a bullpen or take BP or hit off a tee or for sure stay in in decent physical con- condition with a home gym or a treadmill or or something. There's very few John Crux of the world out there anymore that can uh, can can warm up with a heater back in the day <laughs> uh, during spring training. Uh, we are hitting on baseball. It is uh, Dr. Ben Woodhead, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday, and the return to play is a good thing. Let's focus on COVID here for a moment, and uh, that that is a concern with uh, players, with their families, with the regions, with the training. And it's uh, it's an issue. Are you are you confident that the protocols and they're not a, a thousand percent all set in stone? But it sounds like baseball has an opportunity to set kind of the pace, right, for the rest of the world of sports to return. How do you go about doing it? Doing it? Do you test every other day? What what's a fair thought on on that uh, with with baseball and, and what they do procedurally? Yeah, I think baseball is perfect because, you know, it's happening in the summer. It's the warm season. We still don't know how COVID's technically affected by that, but it's not as much of a contact sport as football, basketball. And so I do think it provides a good base baseline kind of for us to start. I don't know in terms of testing every other day or, you know, weekly. I don't really know what the best answer is. I think just doing the proper hygiene, the proper contact precautions, Obviously, you know, I don't know if they're actually going to do temperature screening, you know, as they come in the building. But I think nipping those symptoms before they happen mm-hmm. and preventative type of measures is one of the best things that, that I think that they can do. Um, and just staying on top of things, you know, however many people they let in the stadium, you know, those are things that you aren't going to be able to always control. But, um, you know, if you stay on top of it in front or in terms of the players, I think that's the best, most preventative way that you can actually do it. Dr. Ben Woodhead's with us. Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jonk Doc Wednesday Baseball. Where are you at with, with contact as in uh, warm-ups or, you know, BP or who's touching the baseballs? How many, how many folks uh, can, can sift through a bucket of balls and just the, the, the normal inning-to-inning action that, that does happen? Uh, yeah. is, is, that, is that a concern for you with uh, with baseball? Yeah, I mean, for what we know about COVID, yes, theoretically, that is a concern. I think the hard part is, is, you know, you can chase your tail with this 
over and over, you know, whether you go to the grocery store. I mean, mm-hmm. anything you potentially touch or don't sanitize is a potential carrier of COVID from what we know, right? And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, you do the best possible job that you can to clean things, clean bats, clean balls. Um, but at the end of the day, too, you're not going to be able to completely eradicate everything. And so I think it's just common sense type of things, doing things as efficient as they can. But I, I just don't know that you're going to be able to ultimately negate every risk factor from, you know, all the players and everything they touch. I just don't know if that's too tall of an order or not. With with masks, and it sounds like if you're not playing, you're you're and you're in the dugout, you'll be asked to wear a mask. And I think about the the dog days of summer. Well, while mask will help you navigate COVID and be safe and respectful. That's one thing that you don't want to sign up for is let's wear a mask when it's 120 degrees on AstroTurf. There's going to be some discomfort. It sounds great in theory, but the practicality of actually doing it, I guess we'll see what happens. But as these guys are sweating and puffing and puffing, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Dr. Ben Woodhead's with us, and uh, he's joining us at Junk Doc Wednesday, Lincoln Orthopedic Center. Lastly, about uh, less than a minute here, Dr. Ben, could you ease up and, and let some fans in eventually? I mean, with, with all the screenings and whatnot, could you could you space out and distance and still go see a ball game? Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly an option. Um, you know, what are fans going to do once they actually get in the you know, I guess, is everybody going to follow the rules? That's the thing sure. that you got to rely on is everybody kind of on the same page. And, you know, I think that's the one aspect that you can't truly control because, you know, is everybody going to follow? And then if they don't, how do you enforce that? I think those are kind of the million-dollar questions that we have. Um, and I don't think we know until we try it. Dr. Ben, thanks for a few minutes. Good stuff today. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Chris. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time on a Wednesday. Be sure to get the uh, podcast downloaded, HailVarsity.com. iTunes can subscribe and get that sent to you for free and you want to just catch select parts of the show be sure to do so esp at lincoln.com with the on-demand section and be sure to follow esp and lincoln on twitter or hail varsity on twitter elijah will get to the uh the soundcloud out some of the two-minute drill snippets and uh, full interviews good stuff from lars and brad Ed- edwards as well as mike shuart going off on caddies and babbers who is always magic on Nebraska football. Elijah, what do you got going tonight? Tonight, I don't think anything. I got a, a new workout plan. I'm starting tomorrow. Okay, explain. Is it an hour cardio? Is it just strength training? What? Uh, it's gonna. We're going to start off in the mornings with strength training, and then evenings, uh, optional cardio when I'm feeling like it. And then it, it comes down to diet, too. So, made, made a run to the grocery store today and got all, all the dieting essentials. Here's what I did last night, and I got hit up to go to the grocery store again tonight. So I got, uh, in, I know portion size is eh, that's my weakness. But if I get chicken breast, I can just eat the, the heck out of chicken breast 
and I don't do sauce on them. I'll get the seasoned kind, or I'll just get the regular, skinless, boneless. Yeah. Season them that way. And if you eat enough of that and you do them right, you'll get full and it's good. But I got some um, zucchini, right? The, 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 the zucchini squash, the red and the green, or I should say the, the green and the yellow. Mm-hmm. And I threw that on the grill with some oil. And that's what I had for dinner last night. It was great. It was pretty filling. I'm trying to eat a little more avocado in moderation. And it's supposed to work out tonight. I've been pretty good about every other day. Mm. And it's just an hour of, of band work and crunches and, and uh, core stuff. So, I mean, I feel really, really good. And I'm lighter. I don't look that way. But with you to do strength training and stuff, I mean, I would imagine you probably got after it back in the day quite a bit. Yeah. and that's, to, be, to be playing offensive line. And that's what makes it tough getting back into it is because you look at like where you were back as a senior in high school and now what did you bench <laughs> i didn't realize how quickly you lose it. i remember like freshman year of college i go into the the uh the rec center it'd been probably like four months since i had last and lifted you consistently can't, you can't throw up two <laughs> well, no i was like i go in there and it's just like wow i'm down a hundred pounds in bench in four months i'm just it, it's it goes it goes away quick so fast so i'm looking to get back into a bit of a more consistent uh, just just schedule, I guess. It's not about making huge gains. It's just about feeling a little better, mm-hmm. uh, doing you've some been, crunches. You've been staying up late and eating like crap, haven't you? Uh, I wouldn't say eating like crap, but it hasn't been great. Uh, we're it, talking pizza or what? Yeah, frozen pizzas are, are pretty common. But uh, damn, they're good. <laughs> they're so good, and like they don't even feel that bad. And like one one like really fills you up. So, mm-hmm. but rice. I've been doing more rice. Yep. If you throw rice cool. in, in the little steamer, throw a little chicken broth in there yeah. with some seasonings. Oh, it's delicious. Bang. Way, way to be. So, yeah, I've been summoned to go on a burger run tonight. Mm. I'll do that. I'll probably get chicken breast for myself. Have you tried the keto diet? Yeah, I've looked at it. I don't like what I don't know what I can. The only thing I know about keto is I can have a lot of vodka on it. Yeah, uh, it, you're, you're, it's minimizing the carbs. Sure. Like you can go get a burger, but you eat it without the bun. Right. And, and I'll try and do that anyway. Mm hmm. Unless the bun looks awesome. <laughs> it's a pretzel bun, game over. It's just like, ugh. It's all about calories in, calories out, and, and reducing the portion size helps so much, but it's, it's the hardest thing to do. No, keto and the protein side of things. Good luck. I will not ask for your food diary. Tomorrow, busy show. We'll talk to you at four on Hale Varsity. Thanks.